Awesome. Hey, turn with me to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. We are learning how to make disciples, aren't we? Yeah. You guys ready to learn some more about making disciples? <laughs> Matthew 28. Matthew 28 says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And then Jesus said, And lo, which means, yo, check it out, I am with you even to the end of the age. Jesus has called every single believer to partner with him in making disciples. He's inviting us not just to be sons of the Father, but to be sent ones. Jesus said one time, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. He's saying, hey, I I bought you with my blood, now you're sons of the Father, but you're also called to partner with me. I'm sending you into the world to go on a search and rescue mission to make sure everyone understands I love them, I died for them, and the Father loves them and wants them to be his kids too. So that's what we're all about. This is something that we're all called to. You know, here at our church, we do not take lightly any of the commands of God. Sometimes, sometimes we don't think of ourselves as disdaining or despising or pushing away the commands of God. But if you come across scriptures like this and say, eh, you know, other people do that, or eh, I'm not really called to that, that's called disdaining the commands of God. We have to take these things seriously, that we are called to this. Even if we're afraid, even if we don't know how to do it, that's when we come to Jesus and say, Lord, I don't know how to do this. I'm scared, or I I don't know what to do. This is a big deal. I don't feel equipped. I don't feel like I'm ready for this. That's okay. Just come to the Lord, and you tell Him, and you're honest with Him. But to say, to push it away, is not something we do around here. Amen? We embrace all of the promises of God and all the commands of God, and we embrace the call of God. And I'm glad one person does that, right? So we embrace all the call of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you. See, I'm pastoring you. I would like to know that you're following me. All right. So we're learning how to make disciples, and we've learned, we've learned uh, that really this is not something that is some massive weight. Jesus says, go and make disciples of all the nations. But that doesn't mean you have to go to another country. That doesn't mean you have to reach everybody. Like, uh, okay, uh, Brian, you're, uh, you're Lithuania. You have to reach all the Lithuanians. Okay, now, we've learned that what the Lord has shown us is that the Great Commission, which is to reach all nations, really is so simple because it's where the Great Commission and the Great Commandment intersect, just that one person right in front of us. We're all called to reach the nations, but the nations are the people that are right there in your life. Right? It's just that one person, those few people that are in your life that you're called to bless. And so the last couple of weeks we've been learning how to bless people. It's really that simple. We've learned that making disciples is as simple as being a blessing to other people. Giving strength to them. Adding value to them. That could be as simple as you finding ways to serve people. That homeless person, you buy them food. Maybe you don't give them money, but maybe you give them a gift card to, uh, you know, uh, uh, in and out or something. Give them a good one, right? Not just McDonald's. Or maybe you, maybe you buy them the groceries or you buy them food and you sit with them and eat with them. Blessing people, it looks like being that person who walks into work or in your neighborhood who smiles, who's thinking about others and being attentive to, to them and not just thinking about yourself or not just thinking I had a bad day or I'm going to avoid my neighbor, but really thinking... Like hang out in the front a little bit longer. You see your neighbor, walk over them and say hi to them. It it means being a person who will say, how are you doing? Ask them and really care and maybe be there to pray for them. Even pray for them to be healed if they're sick. Uh, Blessing people. It could could be as simple as um, taking somebody out to eat. Um, It could be as simple as buying somebody coffee. Even just a random person. Greg Marin had somebody buy him coffee. It was like the person right in front of him bought him coffee. Like, like, what do I do? Do I buy the next person coffee? I don't know what he did, but let me tell you, yes. Just pass it, pass it on, you know? Or um, it could look like you tipping your, your waiter or waitress well. We as Christ followers should be known for tipping well and then saying, how are you doing? And treating them like a human being. But even, you, can, you could share Jesus with your waitress or waiter. Leave them a, a, a gospel track. But make sure you tip well when you do, Right? 
So, so blessing people can come in many forms. It could be random, it could be with strangers, or it could be with those in your workplace. It can be a lot of different things. That's what we're doing when we're getting out there and we're building fences or planting grass or uh, giving out Christmas presents or collecting coats. We're trying to be a blessing to this community. But you can do that for your neighbors. You can help them move. You can help them clean up something. You can help them, right? So we've learned, we're learning how to be a blessing. And just ask the Lord every week, how can I be a blessing to like three people? Every week, how could you bless at least three people? Every week, Lord, how can I be a blessing? Not just to your immediate family, right? And not just to Christians, although it could be people in the church, of course, always. The Bible says, uh, do good to all, especially to the household of believers. So, of course, we would bless one another and serve one another and be brother and sister and friend to one another. But what does it look like maybe to go outside of that, outside of our comfort zone, and greet those who don't greet you and love those who don't love you and give to those who can't repay you? Amen? That's what Jesus commanded us to do. The other thing we've been learning is how to build friendships. Last week, I just said that, you know, boy, if Christians would just be friendly, if we would just turn our lives outward to other people and become interested in the lives of others, ask them about them. Ask them about their life, about their spiritual journey, or just about their family. If somebody has kids, ask them about their kids. Ask them about them and become interested in what they're interested in. And don't try to argue, don't try to uh, preach at them, but just become a person who's interested in others, who listens, who asks questions, who's friendly and seeks to serve other people. This is what we've been learning. You say, what? I thought we were talking about making disciples. We are. I, I told you that all we're learning how to do is make this simple, and it really is that simple. Become a person who blesses other people and befriends other people who, some who will be close to God but, and who already know the Lord, but some who will be far from God. Now, I think a lot of us can say, I can do that. I can do that, Right? You can do this, and many of you already are. And, uh, man, I was going to have my wife up here and interview her. The Holy Spirit was telling me, let's have some interviews, and I didn't realize she's back with the kids. So that was my fault. We found out last night. Uh, so we're going to have some interviews over the next number of weeks because I'll tell you, many of you are, I want to honor you, but also I want everyone to catch what's happening in our church. Many of us are already in the lives of people, being a blessing, journeying with other people, and guiding them to Christ. Now, I want to look at this man named Philip here. This man named Philip in Acts chapter 8. If you remember, uh, let me give you the backstory as we dive into uh, a scripture here in Acts chapter 8. What happened, it says here in the beginning of Acts chapter 8, verse 1, now Saul was consenting to his death, referring to Stephen's death, not Philip's. And it says, at that time, a great persecution rose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen, or Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. <clears throat> and it says in verse 3, uh, as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Verse 4, therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word went everywhere preaching the word and then it goes on in verse 5 to talk about philip and it begin we begin to find out about this man named philip and philip went to first on his way to a, uh, to his hometown caesarea on his on his way he ran into a village in samaria which was on his way and started telling people about jesus and demons started coming out of people, and people were getting healed. And all of a sudden, all these people get saved so much that the apostles show up and uh, uh, kind of organize it and pray for people and kind of get a church uh, organized. And then in the midst of that, an angel shows up and tells Philip to head down a road down a desert. Well, let me back up a second. See, Philip is just the ordinary, average a lot of times, we read these stories, and we think that these people were special, trained, pastors, leaders. No, they're just you and me. Okay? Philip, for example, Philip was what, uh, basically, he wasn't a pastor. He wasn't uh, necessarily a leader in the church. He was basically what they called a deacon, a table waiter. What happened was there was... Uh, in, in the church of Jerusalem had, got, had grown to possibly about 12,000 people 
had come to know Jesus, which is actually a significant amount of the population of Jerusalem. Really, it had been, I don't know, a couple years that the church had been growing. Jesus rose from the grave about 50, year, 50 days later. Peter preached the gospel. 3,000 people got saved, and the church just started growing from there, right? And, and, and in this church, this growing, large church, people were being discipled, weren't they? People were hearing the word taught. The Bible says they devoted themselves to the teaching of the word. It says that they fellowshiped in large gatherings in the temple. They would sometimes get together, all of them. Other times they would meet in house to house. They'd go and have house meetings. They would fellowship. They would break bread, which means they took communion. They would spend time in prayer. And every single day, people were coming to Jesus. And these, this church was filled with the Holy Spirit, right? The gifts of the Spirit were operating. People were moving in the power of the Spirit. People were being healed on a regular basis as the power of God was evident. Amen? This was what the church of the book of Acts looked like. This is what Jerusalem church looked like. Well, Philip was discipled in that. Philip was just, in, Philip was just a new believer. He was probably a, a Jewish uh, uh, young man, Jewish, and he got saved, and he got filled with the Spirit, and he's being discipled by the apostles who had walked with Jesus. He's learning the Word of God. He's learning to move in the power of the Holy Spirit. And what happened was there was a problem. There's about 12,000 people, and there were people who were Greek uh, Jews, Greek uh, Hellenistic Jews, and then there were just uh, more Palestinian Jews, and there was a problem because the widows weren't being fed. There were some problems going on where uh, uh, some of the people who were the Greek Jews, the, the widows, they weren't getting their, their allotment of food. There, there was, it really was an administrative problem, maybe a cultural issue, some tension, some struggle in the church. Right? Even in the early church, there was conflict and struggle. Well, the apostles raised up seven people, seven men, to be these table waiters. They basically took over the benevolence ministry. They took over the ministry to widows to make sure that they got their food. Because, of course, as a church, they were taking care of each other. The, the, the people would give to the church, give to the apostles, and the apostles would decide how that money and how that food would be distributed. And so Philip took on a ministry. He took on a ministry like Charles, taking on the benevolence ministry. A minute, he became a ministry leader, Philip and the others. And you remember that Philip and Stephen, they started moving in the power of the Spirit too. Stephen healing people, and ended up, that's what provoked these people to stone Stephen. And when Peter was stoned, uh, physically with rocks, right? Uh, when Peter was stoned to death, basically, it opened up major persecution against the church. So now, all of a sudden, Saul got real bold. This is uh, the Apostle Paul before he was saved. And he started persecuting. And so what happened was, all these Christians that had gathered in Jerusalem, they went back to their hometowns. It scattered them. They got out of Jerusalem, and they went back to their hometowns. Philip was from Caesarea. And so Philip said, I'm going to go back to my hometown. And on his way, just like everyone else, they went on their way through different cities and would stop and preach the gospel. Isn't that amazing that when the church was persecuted and scattered, everywhere they went, they shared the gospel. See, a lot of times we think that the apostle Paul spread the gospel around the Roman world. But really, the gospel was being spread by everyday, ordinary Christ followers who didn't have professional training. They were just Christians who had been discipled, filled with the Spirit in a local church just like ours. Philip, same thing, just a normal guy filled with the Spirit, taught the Word, and a ministry leader in the church, and he was kind of scattered by this persecution, and he went on his way, and he was going to Caesarea, his hometown, and he happened to share the gospel on his way in Samaria. He sees lots of people come to Jesus, and, uh, and like I said, after that was done, an angel came to him. An angel said, now I want you to go down this road, go south on this road in the desert. Now, I don't know about you, if I heard the, an angel tell me that, I'd question if it was from God. I'm thinking, there's no food, there's no water, and there's no people. Like, Lord, why do you want me, you know, Lord, you, is this a death march? You're trying to kill me here, right? But of course, Philip, being a man of faith and knew that this was an angel from the Lord, he said, okay, Lord, I'll do it. So he starts on a journey now south. He was going to Caesarea. Now he starts on a journey south, and he's heading down a road uh, south towards Egypt and, and to northern Africa, down a road in a desert. And as he's walking, he sees a chariot up ahead, which obviously means that there's some sort of government or military leader there, somebody who's rich and influential. And he sees this chariot, and what happens is the Holy Spirit speaks to him. 
There's something of a prompting of the Spirit, and the Holy Spirit says, go over there. Go talk to that man over there. <clears throat> you can see this in verse 29. It says, then the Spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. That doesn't mean like go like fight it or anything. Just go over there, run up to it, and get next to that chariot. So Philip does. He goes over there. And when he gets up to there, verse 30, it says, So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you're reading? So this man is reading the prophet Isaiah in his chariot. You know, nowadays people read in traffic, huh? You know? <laughs> but in, back in those days, there weren't any traffic, so it's okay. You know what I'm saying? The horse is probably walking, he's reading. Some guy, somebody else is driving it, the chariot. So he's sitting there reading out loud the prophet Isaiah, and, I, and, and Philip runs up and hears this guy reading Isaiah and thinks, man, this is good stuff. And he says to, uh, he says to the Ethiopian eunuch, this was an Ethiopian eunuch, which means he was an a, a influential leader in, uh, in the courts of the uh, Ethiopian uh, government. And he says to him, do you understand what you're reading? Do you understand this part of the Bible that you're reading? And the Ethiopian says in verse 31, how can I unless somebody guides me? Unless somebody guides me. How can I understand the Bible? How can I understand what I'm reading? Unless somebody explains it to me. Unless somebody helps me to understand this and tells me the meaning and the significance and the relevance to my life. That's what he's talking about. He doesn't mean like just like, do you, do you get the words you're reading? Right? If, I'm reading a, if I'm reading something, like I understand the words, but I don't understand the meaning. That's what he's saying. He's saying, do you understand what you're reading? And he says, how can I understand unless somebody guides me? And then Philip, it says, uh, and he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. And the place in the scripture which he was, uh, was reading, it says, was from, it's Isaiah 53, by the way. It says, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away, and who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. Verse 34, so the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of another man? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning at this scripture, so starting with Isaiah 53, says, oh, I'm really glad you asked. I'm really glad you asked. And then starting at Isaiah 53, it says, he preached Jesus to him, which the word preached is just a big word for he explained that this scripture and a number of others were telling him about Jesus and inviting him to a relationship with Jesus. We sometimes get all, ooh, about the word preached, just meaning that he's telling him about Jesus. And so, after he does this, it says in verse 36, Now as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Obviously implying that Philip explained to him about Jesus, how to come to Jesus, and about water baptism being a sign of that commitment to following Jesus. Right? It's obviously implied. And so Philip says to him, Well, verse 37, If you believe with all your heart, just like what I said earlier, if you believe that Jesus is Lord, if you believe that he died and rose again, yeah, you can be baptized, meaning you can become a follower of Christ. You can do it right now. You don't need 10 classes. You don't need to do 10 things to prove to Jesus that you're worthy. No, just receive that forgiveness by faith, right? And be baptized to demonstrate that faith and that obedience to Jesus. Boom, right there. So they, go, they get down into the water. Verse 38, so he commanded the chariot to stand still. Both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. Verse 39, now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. It's kind of nice when the Lord gets you back home, right? Now, I don't know, I think that might be one of the first teleportations or whatever they're supposed to call it, like beam me up Scotty things, right? The Holy Spirit literally just took Philip and took him over, put him right back on the road where he was heading the first time, and he walked and went to Caesarea. I love this story for a number of reasons, but I want to focus in on this, what this guy says. Philip walks up and says, do you understand what this is saying? And the man says, how can I unless somebody guides me? See, people need us to guide them to Jesus. Everybody needs a guide. Okay, you know, if you're go on a tour of the Grand Canyon or something like that, you get a guide, you go to a museum, you get a tour guide. Everybody needs a guide. If you're lost and you need directions, you need a guide, right? People who don't know the Lord, they need somebody 
to guide them to Jesus. You know, this word, this is what's fun about this word, guide, when he says, I need someone to guide me. I need someone to help me understand this scripture and guide me to Jesus. The man is admitting this. What's fun about this word, it's the same word used of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. That the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. You and I have the role in people's lives to allow the Holy Spirit through us to guide them to Jesus. Think about who the Holy Spirit is. Jesus calls him the parakletos, doesn't he? The one who comes alongside, what we, the comforter. See, the Lord wants us to come alongside people, just like the Holy Spirit comes alongside us. He wants us to journey with people, just like the Holy Spirit journeys with us. He wants us to be the friend who comes alongside people and comforts them and encourages them and builds them up and points them to Jesus. You know, that's the role of the Holy Spirit, right? The the role of the Holy Spirit in your life is to make you more like Christ, to lead you to Jesus and to point you to Jesus. The Holy Spirit is always pointing you to Jesus. You can read about this in John chapter 14 through 17 more if you'd like, but the Holy Spirit has that role of parakletos. And the Lord is wanting you and me, he's calling us to guide people to Jesus. This is a very, very important thing for us to learn. That what it means to make disciples is first just to bless people and to befriend them, to build eternal redemptive friendships. And then, within that friendship, guide them to Jesus. Walk alongside them, journeying with them through life, and point them to Christ. It's really that simple. Now see, if you're not blessing people, or if you're not building friendships with people, that's the first place to start, right? If, if you say, well, I don't really have people in my life who are far from God, then go and cultivate friendships. Do that. But as you're journeying with people, as you're being friend to them, being neighbor, being a blessing, as you're journeying with them, as you're asking them who they are and about their spiritual journey, as you're journeying with them, you come alongside of them and you point them to Jesus. You guide them to Jesus. We all need this. We all need a guide, but especially those who are far from God. What I love about this story also is that Philip has the opportunity to guide this man right to a decision where he follows Christ. But you notice somebody had already planted a seed in this man's life, right? Think about this story. Philip shows up in this guy's life by the miraculous leading of the Holy Spirit, right? An angel. The Holy Spirit says, go over there. And this man is ready. This man is ripe, like we would say. This man is open, and he wants to know. He's already reading the Bible. He's probably what we would call a God-fearer. He's not Jewish, but he's probably one who had already understood something about the Jewish faith. He was reading the Hebrews. He was seeking God. He was asking questions. And so when he's reading the Bible and Philip says, hey, do you understand what you're reading? The man was already feeling, I need somebody to tell me what this means. You see what I'm saying? So Philip steps into his life at the right time. God is good at that, isn't he? God is good at orchestrating, bringing us into people's lives when they need it, bringing other people into our lives when we need it. But either way, Philip has the opportunity to lead this man across the line of faith, to lead this man to a decision with Christ, and then Philip disappears. Oof. Philip does not have the opportunity to help this, young, this man, young or old, we don't know, help this man to grow in his faith. Philip has to just entrust this man to the Lord. He has to think, well, God brought me into his life, and so God will continue to disciple this man. But somebody had to plant a seed in this man's life. See, every single one of us is called people to Jesus. But everyone you meet, in fact, if you think about the people in your life, everyone's at a different place in their spiritual journey. Some people you meet are far from God. They're not even interested. They're not going to ask you questions. They don't even want to hear it. In fact, sometimes they'll tell you, don't tell me, I don't want to hear it. Other people you meet, you come into their life and they're already ready for God. I mean, they meet you and they're like, oh, hey, can you lead me to Jesus? I mean, sometimes that happens. Maybe not quite like that, but they're ready Other people you meet, they're somewhere in between. They're asking questions. Maybe they have some cultural hurdles. Maybe they have some theological hurdles that they need to get over. They just need some help, and it takes some time. Most people you meet are going to take some time. They need need their trust built. 
Most people are hungry for God. They want someone to ask them spiritual questions. They want to dialogue about Jesus. But they're looking for a person who's going to be friendly, who's going to love them, and who's going to be consistent. They're looking for the real deal. That's why I've told you, I often will cry out to God, oh, that the church would walk in holiness, and the church would just be friendly. Because I'll tell you, we would see at least twice as many people come to Jesus if people met Christ followers who were friendly and just lived it. Because that's what happens to me a lot of times. I just get into people's lives, and, and it doesn't just happen to me. I hear a lot of stories where they'll say, oh, they'll start asking me questions about spiritual things. They'll want to know, and they want to know because, you know, I've never met somebody who was real like you, who wasn't like judgmental or standoffish. or they, They're just looking for somebody who would journey with them. A lot of times, I'll tell you, and even they've shown statistically that like 75% of people, if somebody who was their friend that they could trust would start a conversation with Jesus and even invite them to church, they'd come. Why? Because people are not hard-hearted. They're not turned off a lot of times. They're looking for Jesus, and they want to see Jesus in his people, and they're wanting somebody to guide them. But everyone's at a different stage. I, I love how um, the Apostle Paul one time he says this, <clears throat> he says, uh, he says this in 1 Corinthians 3, he says, who then is Paul, who is Apollos, ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one? I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God gives the increase. Now, he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his reward according to his own labor. One time in John chapter 4, Jesus says, you guys are reaping what somebody else sowed. See, Jesus and Paul, they use an agricultural metaphor to describe the stages that people go through to come to Christ. A lot of times, people begin uninterested in God or hardened, and you, or, or, or they just are kind of open, but they don't know. And a lot of times people need us to come and plant seeds in their life. And then other people, the seeds have already been planted. Maybe they were raised in the church or, they, um, or they've seen other Christians or people have prayed for them and something's stirring in their heart and they just need someone to come alongside them and water that. Maybe explain the gospel. Maybe speak life into them. Just love them. And they'll just open right up. The seed's there, but they just need somebody to water it, model it for them. Or encourage them and they'll open right up. Sometimes you get to play the role where you get to lead somebody all the way from, let's say, negative 10 all the way to Jesus and beyond, right? Sometimes this is the fun part. You get to build the friendship with somebody and then you get to plant that seed. And I'll tell you, it takes time. It takes years often. Just loving somebody. And little by little, you get to talk about Jesus, share your story with them. And little by little, you get to answer some questions. And, and maybe as people get closer and the friendship is built, they start, you get to talk about it a little bit more. And sometimes that's the exciting part. That's the exciting part. Somebody, you just get to really dialogue with somebody. You get to explain it and, and, and lead them. And then, and then what's really even better than that is sometimes we get to lead someone to Jesus. That's the most fun. And then even help them to grow. See, discipleship does not begin when someone comes to Jesus. Discipleship begins all the way back there where somebody doesn't know Jesus and is even turned off. Make disciples, Jesus said. Make disciples. He's talking about turning people from lies to truth, turning people from sin back to God. He's talking about finding lost people and bringing them home. Discipleship does not begin when someone comes to Jesus. It begins wherever they're at on their spiritual journey. But listen, making disciples does not end when they come to Jesus either, amen? Making disciples means that when they come to Jesus, now you help them to grow. Now, it's fun when you get to do all of that. You get to be the person from beginning to end, but most of the time, we're not. Most of the time, you will play, and I will play a certain role in different people's lives. The Lord will bring you into someone's life at the right time for what they need, and you will play that role. Or what Paul said, each one will be rewarded for their own labor. One plants, one waters, 
one sows, one reaps, one does this, one does that. See, you don't need to beat yourself up because I've not led someone to Jesus. You don't need to beat yourself up. Now, like I said, if you're not building friendships and you're not seeking to be this person, well, we need to grow in this. But what I'm saying is you just need to play the role that God has called you to play. Most likely, if you're in the lives of people who are not Christ followers, some of them will be far, farther from God. Some of them will be asking you questions. Some of them will be ready. And at different seasons of your life, it will be different. There are people that I have journeyed with for seasons who were totally not open to God. I would go to work every day, and every day I would hang out with Jim, and every day Jim would bring up things, and all he really wanted to do is get me off my, get me off my game. I don't know how to, what to say. Jim, Jim just wanted to bring up conversation uh, and kind of challenge me on things, and he didn't really want to know Jesus. In fact, as we continued to dialogue, I began to find out that actually he'd been very hurt and turned off, he was kind of one of those, everybody believes different things kind of guys, and we'll never know, so... And he just kind of wanted to mess with you. He never wanted to tell you what he really believed, keep you on your toes. After a while, like I said, I began to see the hurt in his heart, but every day... And in fact, a lot of times, you guys, I wouldn't even get into those conversations. I wouldn't even get into spiritual conversations on purpose, because I didn't want to go down that road. But I'll tell you, I would answer Jim's questions, I would share my story with Jim... He would ask me things and I'd be able to share the gospel and I'd just live my life as a consistent Christ follower, working hard, being integrous, being a friend to him. I would ask him a lot about him and his family and he was older so I could ask him about Glendora and what it used to look like around here. And I just journeyed with Jim. And you know what? I did not lead Jim to Jesus. Now he had family members who were Christ followers and I continued to pray for him and I would love to be friends with him but I don't see him every day. I had a role to play, and I had to ask the Lord, what's the role that I need to play? He wasn't ripe. He wasn't ready, but I could still shine as a light. I could still love him, and I could plant seeds. Okay? I've seen this in all different areas. You know, when I, um, and so, but there's been other people in my life where I showed up in their world, and it's like they're just like begging me to lead them to Jesus. No, I'm joking. I, mean, I show up in their life, and they're already asking questions. They see something different, like I said, and they want to know what's going on. I've also had the joy of leading people, walking with people, not being the only person in their life, of course. Many times people will plant seeds in people's lives and different people will play different roles, but I've watched people go from far from God and even being able to lead them to Jesus with my wife and then lead them into growing with the Lord. When I, I think about this idea of guiding somebody, I think about my friend Ryan Galvin who led me to Jesus. See, Ryan uh, met me at a Christian club in high school when I was 16. I decided when I was 16, I would go to a Christian club and I would wear a cross and I would be a Christian. But see, that took a long time to get there. Now, obviously that's kind of religious, right? I didn't know what it really meant to be a Christian. I didn't know why Jesus died for me at all, honestly. But I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for this. At the same time, I was partying and doing dumb stuff. And there was this real battle in me in my junior year of high school. And see, a lot had already happened. When I was 11 years old, my sister started uh, going to a church, and she explained to me, she got me a Bible, and I went to church a couple times with her, and already a seed had been planted in my heart, and all throughout junior high and high school, being the skeptic that I am, I would read the Bible, I would do research, I mean, is Jesus real? Is this just made up? Is there any historical evidence? I mean, these are the kind of questions I was asking. I'm reading the Bible, I'm, I'm reading about, uh, and I, I just stumbled along these there's prophecies in the Bible that point to Jesus. There's historical evidence for his death and his resurrection. And so my brain was somewhat, if you will, uh, satisfied by the time I met Ryan. I was kind of at this point of spiritual hunger. And I, though I had a lot of questions and a lot of doubts, I was still in a place of saying, I think Jesus is who he says he is. And so I was open. Does it make sense? I think I'm going to follow this guy. So I was open. I come to this Christian club first day. And there's Ryan, and they just say, hey, go ahead and greet one another, just like we would do here, right? Ryan's not the leader of the Christian club. Ryan's just a follower of Jesus. He's not the leader. He just turns around, and we shake hands. And uh, from my point of view, I mean, he had this long hair. He's a cool, cool guy or whatever, a musician. He had this 
cool, dark, long hair, and, hey, how you doing? Oh, yeah, my name's Ryan, my name's David. Oh, nice to meet you. And it was cool. I mean, I, he was a cool guy, and he asked me a couple questions about myself. What I didn't know is that he had been asking the Lord to bring somebody that he could disciple. See, I'll tell you, if you'll ask the Lord for opportunity, he'll give it to you, right? And the Lord connected Ryan and I just like that. Ryan looked at me in the eyes, and Ryan, just by the leading of the Spirit, this doesn't happen all the time for us, but he knew in his spirit, he could sense in the spirit, man, this guy is hungry for God. I didn't know that until later. Ryan and I, he, he tried to be intentional about building a friendship. But I also, I saw something about Ryan I couldn't explain. He seemed to be somebody who was real authentic, who really knew God, like an, had an intimate relationship with God, that, what we might call intimate relationship with God. Back then, I didn't know. So I just thought to myself, he knows God. You know? He just talks like a guy who just kind of knows God and not, knows about God. So I was intrigued. We, would be, we built a friendship over a number of months, all through the fall semester, and I would give him a ride home at times, and we would hang out, and we would talk, and we'd kind of build a friendship. And over that time, he began to share his story with me. I began to share my questions with him, and he built trust. He shared with me God in his life, things that God had done through him, in him, and I began to see what it looks like to have a relationship with God. And he began to answer my questions, questions about uh, uh, morality, Questions about what it means to follow Jesus. We talked a lot about various uh, issues of, you know, uh, like I said, morality and, and what it means to follow Christ. We, we talked about, uh, he would give me books. Like John Paul is very good at resourcing people. Just, here's a book on creation versus evolutionism. I basically thought if you believed in creationism, which is like the world was made in six days, I thought you were an idiot. So he just helped me to see that there's different perspectives. And uh, he just showed me, hey, no, th- there's actually a lot of research out there, a lot of science. He's just kind of intellectually helping me answer some of my questions, think it, help me think this through. And just, we would just journey together. We would talk. We would talk about other things too, his music, uh, sports, whatever, and we would just hang out. Well, as things got further along and there was this, like, if you will, things were coming to a head. Here I am uh, just partying and making dumb choices and on the other hand trying to read the Bible. And I literally was trying to be a Christian and failing miserably because I was not born again. I had no power against sin. And uh, one day, him and I are uh, sitting at my uh, track meet. Uh, I think it was in the middle of my track. Come and watch and hang out. And I'm looking at something. I don't even remember why. And I made a comment about, hey, we're all sinners. You know, we're all sinners. I I was speaking out of my own struggle with impure things. I was speaking out of my own struggle as a a failing religious person. And, uh, And he said, I'm not. I thought to myself, man, that's the most prideful thing I've ever heard anyone say. I think I even said that to him. I was like, what? How can you say that? You're not a sinner. We're all sinners. He's like, I'm not. And he didn't say anything. See, little by little, Ryan would tell me he'd just plant these seeds. But a lot of it was just us dialoguing. So about this time, he started a Bible study, just an impromptu Bible study. And he said, hey, want to come over to my house and just kind of look at the Bible, study the Bible? I said, okay, I'm hungry for God. I want to know. And I want to know what's different about this guy. So I show up. And we'd probably met really only one or two times. And here I am. I'm sitting at his house with a friend of mine. So it was like three of us. It was a small group at that time. And then she had to go. And it ended up just being him and me. And he starts this Bible by asking some questions. And he was, man, he was baiting me. He was totally baiting me. And he just said, if Jesus is 100% righteous, what percentage are you? And of course, as a good Catholic, brought up Catholic, I said, I'm like a negative, you know, a million or something like that. You know. I don't know. Maybe I said something more modest, like negative 10 or something. But either way, I was like, oh, I'm not, you know, nothing, you know. And he said, well, okay, how many times do you sin a day, you know? First, he had it write it down, then we talked about it. How many times have you done good things today? What he was doing was he was exposing a sin consciousness. He was exposing how I viewed myself, and he was leading in to being able to share the gospel that those who put their faith in Jesus, Jesus takes our sin and gives us his righteousness. Many of you know that way we disciple you in our church. And oh, I argued with him. Oh man, this was when it really came to a head. I was like, no man, we're sinners. And I mean, I started arguing with him and all he did, he just took me to the word, took me to the word, took me to the word, answered my questions, showed me in the word. See, See, I didn't know why Jesus died. I'd been to CCD as a Catholic. I'd heard about Jesus dying. I didn't know why he died. I just knew that he did die. I didn't know. I didn't know the gospel at all. At all. People will know about Jesus. That doesn't mean they know the gospel. And he began to preach Jesus to me from the word. He began to show me, see, God created you for a relationship. Show me some scriptures. 
God wants a relationship with you. I thought God was mad at me, hated me, didn't like me. He was mad at me because I killed his son. You know, our sin killed Jesus and stuff like that. And Ryan just walked me through. Show me the word, show me the word, show me the word. And as he's sharing the gospel with me, I realized for the first time in my life, God loves me, wants a relationship with me, and he died for me. And right there, I accepted Christ, changed my life. And then Ryan began to disciple, continue to disciple me, not begin, he be- continued to disciple me and help me to grow as a Christ follower. Taught me the word, showed me who I was in Christ, got me to read my Bible, would talk to me about things in my life, got me filled with the Holy Spirit, brought me to church, all that stuff. See, Ryan got to walk me through a ton of stuff, but he didn't do everything, right? Sometimes you get to plant the seed, and that's it. You might move, you might change jobs, they might leave. Other times you get to water that seed. Other times you get to lead them to Jesus. Other times you get to do the growing part. Sometimes when people come to church here on a Sunday morning, they're already hungry, that's why they're here, you know? Some people, they're interested or they're curious. And sometimes I get to, honestly, as a I get to lead them to Jesus sometimes. I get to do the fun work. Right? I reap what other people sow. Other times you get to as well, right? But sometimes I get to reap what other people sowed, and then I get to disciple. I get to help you grow. Many of you, you know, you come to church here already. You're already saved, for example. You're already born again. But we get to disciple you. See, so we all get to play a different role. But here's the key. We all get to play that role. See, whether you're planting seeds or watering, whether you're helping someone to grow and know Jesus more, you're part of discipling, amen? And the Lord wants every single one of us to know how to guide people to Jesus. He wants you and I to know how to help them, walk with them, and point them to Jesus. Now, one of the best ways to do this is simply your own story. Probably every single person I've shared the gospel with has heard my story. It's the most powerful tool you have to simply tell them why you are a believer in Christ, why you are a follower of Christ, and how Jesus has changed your life. People are longing to encounter Christ, and they can encounter Him, the real God, through your encounter. They may not have encountered God, but they can hear that God is real. They, don't want, they need to know that God is not just a story in a book, but He's the real God. The Bible is the story about Him, but it points us to Him, right? And so each one of us have a living story with Christ. And your story, your stories with God are the most powerful tool you can use. And a lot of times, even those who are far from God and who have a hard heart that are not even interested, you can still plant a seed in their heart. See, one of the things that I'll do with people is even if they're not interested, even if they're not open, I can still say stuff to just plant a seed. I can still say something about Jesus I can still say something about my relationship with God. I could boast about Him. I could boast about what He's doing in our church. Just a little bit like somebody got healed or somebody's life was changed. And I could just plant a seed without going that far. Even those of you who might work in a, a, a public schools or you work with, in a government uh, area and you just say, hey, you know, I've got to be real careful because of the laws. Or some of you, you're working with clients and you say, I've got to be careful because they're my clients. Amen. But before they're your client and before you're a public school teacher, you are a Christ follower. But the thing is, is you don't have to be belligerent. You don't have to be demonstrative. You don't have to get on a pulpit and preach. All you need to do is share your story. And here's what I want for every single one of the people in our church to know how to do. I want you to know this. I want everyone in our church to know how to share your story or a story. It doesn't have to be your salvation story. I came to Jesus when. It can be that. It can be a story of what God's doing in your life recently. I want everyone to be able to share their story in three sentences. 30 seconds to one minute. Think of it like an introduction to an essay. People do not need all the explanation at first. All they want and all they need, and especially if they're not open, but even some people who are open, give them the teaser, give them the intro, give them the thing that says, here is my story, here's what God's done in my life, and then leave it alone. One of the best things you could do with, us, with your story, with your testimony, is keep it focused, keep it themed, and keep it brief. That's it. Just three sentences, three sentences, less than a minute, and in your program, I've given you a handout that you could write this down. It says simply this, before Christ, I, I came to Christ when, and as a Christ follower, I. It's really that simple. Three sentences. 
Can you share your story in three sentences? Now, you might say, well, I don't remember the before Christ part because I was a child. That's cool. You're still a Christ follower. So on the back, you'll see two sentences. I'm a Christ follower because, and as a Christ follower, I am learning or experiencing. See, it's not just how you came to Christ or why you came to Christ. It's why you are currently a Christ follower and choose to walk in that way. It's what he's doing in your life. You can boast about you, what God's doing in your life. You can boast about God, what God's doing in other people's lives. I remember one time a neighbor was telling me about how she had all these aches and pains, and I just said, oh, totally, that stinks. You know, the other day we prayed for some people and their knees were healed. In fact, yeah, I told Rachel's story. Rachel's uh, legs were off kilter a number of years ago. We prayed for her. I wasn't there. Our church prayed for her, and her, one of her legs uh, uh, grew, and her back and her hips and her feet were or better. I just shared that real quick, 30 seconds. Oh, yeah, get hands on this girl. She's healed. My neighbor's like, oh. She was actually kind of curious, right? I do this a lot. I do this a lot. I'll just share my story. I'll boast about other people. One time, I was in jury duty, and this man who ended up being a, a Buddhist, I didn't know that. I sensed that he was of a different ethnicity, different culture, obviously, skin and his, his accent. This, uh, right there in jury duty, after we made the verdict and all that fun stuff, he turns to me and says, you're a pastor. Uh, how did you become a pastor? Now, this was like a week or two before that un- when they're interviewing you to find out if they want you on the jury, I said, I'm a youth pastor. He remembered that and held his question for a week or two, right? And he says to me, and of course, there's a bunch of people in this small room so they can hear me, and he asks me, hey, why are you a pastor? Oh, hmm. Funny you should ask, right? Should I? Oh, I'll just, oh, well, you know, I went to college and I became a pastor. No, of course I'm going to tell him why I'm a pastor, right? I'm just going to tell him exactly what I just told you, uh, but a lot briefer. Right? Just 30 seconds. Well, I wasn't following Christ, and I had this encounter with the Lord where I saw that he died for me. He loves me, wants a relationship with me. And I just had this encounter with God. It changed my life, and I, wanted, I want to serve the Lord. I want to serve God. And then uh, a little bit later, he spoke to me and called me to be a pastor. So really, I'm a pastor because God told me to. And then he said, well, tell me, what do you do? What do you do? What's a pastor? And I began to just real briefly share with him, well, I'm kind of like a life coach. You know, I'm really here to help people become all that they were created to be. I believe God has a purpose for people, and I just want to help them become that. And I, then I told him a couple quick stories about people's lives being changed because of Jesus. And I told him one, and maybe like a healing story. I just told him real quick. Now, here's the cool thing. The day before, I had seen in my spirit that I would share with this man about Jesus' death and resurrection. I saw his face, and I saw myself sharing Jesus with him. I didn't make it happen, but I was ready. And I literally, I just, so then I turned it to him, and I just started asking him questions. Well, well tell me about you. What, what do you believe? Where, where, are you, where are you at in your spiritual journey? He tells me about that stuff. And I'm able to lead it right to the gospel where I said to him, why Jesus died and how he rose and why I'm a follower of Christ. It was powerful. See, a lot of times when I'm talking to people, just three sentences. Let me tell you three sentences. Before I was a Christ follower, I was very insecure. I, I didn't feel connected to people. A loner. And I didn't, I didn't feel loved. And I was longing for that. I came to Christ because somebody told me that God loves me so much that he died for me. And when I accepted Jesus, I discovered this love that has changed me. And now I have this confidence in God's love, but also I have a calling, I have a purpose. I never had that before. There it is, I'm done. I could be talking to my neighbor one time, and he says, I just know that there's more out there. I just long for purpose. I said to him, you know, you do have a purpose. God created you. And I told him my testimony real quick, real simple. Hey, I totally felt the same way until I came to Christ right there all i'm telling him is i totally am with you i'm walking the same journey you don't have to boast about yourself you say you might say but dave i'm really struggling with stuff you might say man i'm dave i'm really struggling with doubt in my own christian walk how can i lead someone to jesus that's your story tell them you know what (laughs) i got a lot of questions myself i'm really struggling myself but you know what i know one thing is i really believe jesus died for me and questioning he's journeying with me And I rest in that. 
I rest that no matter what's going on in my life right now, I'm going to get to go to heaven. And there's a security there for me. My point is, you can tell people exactly your story. You're not boasting about yourself. You're boasting about God, right? Here, let me give you another example from a skit. You guys got it? <laughs> awesome. We, uh, we have an opportunity anytime. Anytime somebody brings something up, we just bring it right back to the Lord. And just plant a seed in their life. So here's the bottom. We're all called to guide people to Jesus. Just to journey with them and look for ways we can plant a seed. Now I want to talk to you about how to even lead someone to the Lord. I want to help you to know even how to lead a Bible study like my friend Ryan did with me. That's important. Because the Lord may bring somebody into your life who needs you to explain the gospel to them like Philip or like Ryan did for me. It might take longer. And then I want to teach you guys how to disciple somebody when they come to Christ. What if you led someone to Jesus? See, just like making babies, it doesn't end when they're born. You've got to nurture them. We don't leave people at the doorstep of an institution. We've got to learn how to bring them up in the Lord. Making disciples could start anywhere they're on that spiritual journey, but if we lead someone to Jesus, we've got to know how to do it. So we're going to learn this. We're going to learn how to guide somebody to Jesus. But think about where the people are at in your life. Maybe they're far from God. Maybe they just need you to plant a seed, like share your story with them. Your story is always relevant. Maybe they're ready for you to ask, answer questions and dialogue with them. Maybe even ready for you to lead a Bible study. I mean a Bible study like a one-time, just, hey, let's look at the Bible, maybe for a few weeks. That might sound, uh, whoa, for some of you, but I'll tell you, we need to be ready. Listen to what Peter says, and we're going to end with this. He says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience. He says to Christians, hey, as you're following Jesus' Lord, you're in people's lives, they're watching you. Make sure you're being gentle, respectful, keeping a good conscience, meaning living in holiness. He says, we need to be ready. Because if you're living before people and you're loving them, they will ask you questions. They will. Are you ready? Are you ready to share your story? Can you share your story in three sentences? Can you plant a seed in their heart? Are you ready? And here's the other thing. Are you ready to maybe lead someone to Jesus if they're ready? You don't have to make them ready, but if they're ready, are you ready? Right? Are you ready? And we're going we're gonna to get ready. We're going to learn this. We're going to grow in this, okay? Awesome. Clint, lead us in response.